Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. This is your 1160 AM news team with host and lead anchor, Hopsy Baby Boy. We like to have a lot of laughs on this show, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we sure do. But today, we're about to talk to you about a little bit of something that's serious. That little bit of something's called energy. Several years ago, I worked at a restaurant in downtown Calgary called Joey Eau Claire. I met a young lady there by the name of Heidi McKillop. She was born and raised in New Brunswick. And um, she moved out here after university. And um, friends with her on Facebook, followed her on social media, that kind of bullshit. Uh, didn't stay in much touch over the last couple of years, much touch. Um, over the last couple of years, hadn't really been in touch, but... Uh, Noticed that she started putting out these videos that she had been making, creating, directing, and producing. Um, the first one that caught my eye was one by the, it was called A Stranded Nation on YouTube. Um, she's had several other projects come out now, a couple other commercial projects. Um, and the, they were really good, and I was really impressed. And I liked the message that she was trying to, um, you know, bring forth through these uh through these films and I, I was really impressed so I reached out to her randomly and I said hey do you want to just come on and talk about what you're doing and the conversations you're trying to have and she said sure and I said fuck yeah so here we go folks episode number 51 has a little bit of an in- interview segment and by a little bit I mean this episode is an interview okay so lock yourself into that seat sit the fuck down Get ready for a beautiful, great interview. Folks, informative stuff that you're not going to get anywhere else. This is independent journalism. Thriving. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you and welcome you back to episode number 51 of the program, The Project, the show you hold so dear and you come to for journalistic integrity and information that you're strictly not going to find anywhere else. I have with me on the show today, good friend, uh, from a couple of years ago that I haven't seen in a long time, who is uh, doing some great work um, highlighting the pros and cons of our oil and gas industry out west. Uh, her name is by the name of Heidi McKillop. Um, Heidi, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the project. Thanks for having me. It's super fun to do this with you. Yeah, so it's been a long time since we talked. Um, we actually met, we worked at a restaurant together, uh, Joey's in Eau Claire, downtown Calgary. And that was kind of how we crossed paths. And I had you on Facebook and then hadn't seen you in a couple of years. And then I started seeing some of the work that you were putting out and it got me a little intrigued. And I thought about reaching out and getting you to come on the show and just talk about uh, your views, I guess, on the industry and how it affects Canada, the world as a whole. And uh, basically kind of how you kind of came to be. And now you're kind of pursuing a path and a career that's going to, you know, keep you in this line of work. And it's really impressive. So just kind of want to open the floor, have you on, just have a conversation about uh, what you're up to in your professional life, I guess, from this point on. What's going on? How have you been? It's been great. You know, it's been quite a journey. Um, like my very first documentary when I started at Joey O'Claire making it. And it's, it's so ironic, you know, to be closing the lounge all the time as a server and putting it towards a dream when you think like, oh, that's just going to be your only project. And now I'm running my own production company and you know, this is my passion. This is what my calling is. So it's kind of neat to go through all those really organic steps to get into the film industry. But it was really, really fascinating because like we were lucky at Joey Eau Claire because we got to see a lot of um, the face value of the industry going up and down. 
we got to see the pros, you know, in 2016 when oil was hitting over, you know, $100 barrels, $100 a barrel of oil. And it was just incredible to be downtown in the atmosphere. But now that we get back into it, it's, you know, we went through the recessions, we went through a lot of uh, those things with our customers. And that was really the influence of the first documentary because, you know, there's an incredible narrative, incredible story. It's like, well, why doesn't anyone do a documentary about this? Why isn't someone filming about that people, hundreds of thousands of people are losing their jobs and it doesn't seem to really matter to people outside of Alberta and Western, Western provinces. So it was really that inspiration that started it all and got me into producing this hour long documentary. Then I released it in 2019. Since then, I've been doing a lot of different commercials for the industry, um, just talking about petroleum byproducts, talking about how we can improve technology, um, how we can improve our public relationship with the general public and internationally, but also domestically as well in Canada. Absolutely. And for those of you who don't understand what the documentary we are referring to, it's called A Stranded Nation and you can find it on YouTube. And if you haven't seen it, I really recommend you do go out there and do see it. Um, there was a part of that film right at near the beginning that kind of intrigued me to reach out to you and have this conversation because it was kind of relaying to something that I've talked about on this show actually in the past and something that I've seen myself um, spending time in different parts of Canada um, you being from um, out east originally, you grew up just outside of uh, Fredericton, a place called Harvey Station, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's I always, right. I always remember you saying that. Harvey, Heidi from Harvey. That's yeah, all you have to Heidi remember. from Harvey. Yeah, that's hilarious. And you went to school out there as well, right? In Fredericton yeah. to St. Thomas. Yeah, that's right. And kind of just touch on, I guess, your original views of oil and gas out, out um, when you lived out there and you grew up out in the Atlanta provinces. And then, you know, you come out here to... Um, Calgary. I'm not sure if that was ever something that was really on your mind, but you probably came out here and realized pretty quick how it does affect a lot of ways of life. You can immediately see, like you just mentioned, through being a server downtown and how you can make some more tips when things are good. But, you know, if things aren't good, you know, some other provinces, places across the country maybe don't feel those effects as immediately. And just kind of touch on that, I guess, like how, mm -hmm. you know, your experience, you know, you went from, I guess, one to another like a, not really a polar opposite thing but you know you really did have a definite change after you got maybe a bit more informed or maybe realized what was really going on on both sides of things so just speak on that if you could sorry loaded question <laughs> <laughs> yeah these are really loaded questions for sure I think one of the things that um is so interesting to me is I was actually going through some old papers not too long ago and I sent a snap to my dad and I said you wouldn't believe this it's my one of my papers I wrote in university was why fracking should be banned in New Brunswick. And I was reading it through and I said, wow, what a difference in that ideology that changed. But it wasn't really me speaking. It was really about what I was being taught in school and it was what the narrative was at my university. And I love St. Thomas and I'm, I'm really appreciative of my education, but there's a lot of things that I really would have challenged uh, to be different had I experienced the relationships I've experienced out here. And the reality is, Going from anti-oil and gas and, you know, being part of a social work program that is intensely embedded in socialism and also um, has a very strong libertarian roots, I definitely feel like I've brought a lot of that, um, a lot of that emotion, a lot of that community development program to the ideology of oil and gas because they can both coincide together. You know, it's not about one versus the other. It's about 
realizing that without jobs and without um, using our natural resources of all kind, we don't have those social programs that are hugely subsidized by the oil and gas industry. And that's something that we really got to keep into account. So if we want to say, um, for instance, uh, you know, oil and gas communities lifting indigenous communities out of poverty, they won't be able to do that by without leveraging the natural resources on their reserves and in their and their traditional territories. So it kind of is a fascinating thing that I went from anti to pro and then kind of went into a full circle because I that's how I kind of think of it. It's not a linear line. It's not yes or no. And it's not this polarization we see. It really is a circular economy and it's a circular community. And there's a lot of benefits that uh, Canada really doesn't understand that comes from the oil and gas industry through transfer payments and subsidies. Um, and that's something that we have to be really mindful of. So again, I guess looking back, I think that's really the inspiration is that I still have that social work side of me and definitely that community development that's always the forefront of my ambitions. But there, I'm very realistic now of how we achieve those uh, social programs and where they're getting funded from. And it's not enough to just say the federal government is simply going to fund it because where does that money come from for the federal government? Because they certainly don't make any money for us. Mm -hmm. They're getting it from somewhere. And that's coming from business taxes, uh, personal income tax revenue, and definitely our natural resources of all kinds uh, really shape the bedwork of how this program, all of these programs work in Canada. Yeah, I just, I'm glad you, you know that. Obviously, I gave you a lot to speak on right there. And you did a very good job, but I, I've, I spent time in New Brunswick, spent time in Ontario. And I just, I really just can't believe how it's not even, it's, it's just like a lack of, I mean, people just aren't really informed on like how drastic like this industry is to Canada's success as a whole. That's right. And I've yeah. talked to people about it and it's like always like a it's kind of a taboo subject that, you know, you don't even want to spend time talking about. And it's just so much easier to avoid, which has been kind of what I like what you're doing so much because you know it's just it's very not often that you see someone putting their like a face out there to not like it's not like anyone saying like be pro oil but it's like it's like almost just like pro Canada it's like doing what's like that's actually, exactly it totally doing what's like actually the best for us like I've talked to people Absolutely. so often and it's like why can't we just switch to renewables and I'm like like you can't just turn off the taps like there's still energy needs and those aren't yeah. going away anytime soon. And like, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just, we ought to have some common ground and have a conversation about what actually to do here. That's going to benefit people. It's just craziness. You're absolutely right. And I think really what is so interesting about the polarization of this conversation is that for instance, I know when I talk to my grandparents and when I first released a documentary, it's really made for my family members back East because I realized if they couldn't understand it, then I wasn't really doing I wasn't doing any service because people out West already understand this conversation. Uh, it's like, well, how do we build back Canada again, you know, from central Canada, from um, the Atlantic provinces to Western Canada, it's a huge country. And it, we are seeing a political discourse of many, many kinds appearing in our politics and across our news centers. And that really worries me because I think that's where the lack of communication comes down from. So if, for instance, if you're pro oil and gas, you're automatically a conservative. You know, if you're linked to this, you're linked to that. And that's really a scary slope to go down because you can be pro-resource development and not conservative. You can be mm -hmm. an NDPer, And you can see that transformation with Rachel Notley when she became premier. 
she really was, um, you know, going against the grain of her party by supporting fossil fuels because she realized you, we can't get anything done without it. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to have a, a realistic conversation, <clears throat> it has to come down to your energy consumption needs and energy directly relates to poverty. And that's another thing that is so fascinating for me is that we see leaders um, today, especially in our politics and international policymakers, they're saying things. I'm like, well, when's the last time you had to worry about your mortgage payment, your truck payment or car payment or your groceries or your hydro bill? I mean, the chances are you probably haven't, they probably haven't had that issue. Whereas most people are really struggling. And if you're going to switch to renewable energy without having a game plan of consistent energy consumption that requires low, low, uh, you know, just access to liability of that, of that resource, but also you're going to be able to meet that energy needs in an affordable way. Those are two different conversations that we're highly missing out on. 100%. Um, looking at, I, I wrote these down. These are from your, uh, I've pulled these stats directly from your video, really deep, dug deep for the research. But like, <laughs> so this was from your movie in, in 2019 says that Canada was responsible for roughly 1.5% of the world's emissions. Those numbers I'm assuming haven't changed too much to this point. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Those are pretty relative. Um, You know, they fuctuate in stats. There's 1.6, 1.5, but it's relatively, we can all agree that it's below two. Okay. Yeah. A hundred percent. So not a real big contributor, still Mm -hmm. obviously a number there, but it says, 500 to 700,000 barrels a day are brought into Canada to refineries to be sold back into Canadian markets. Mm-hmm. It's just, and that's paid at a world price. That's right. Not paid at like what we could be making it for ourselves. And that's just to fill the demand, right? That's just like, cause we can't even use all, like we can't even use all our own oil. And I, I certainly don't understand it to the right degree that someone that should be probably even having trying to have this conversation with you. But I know that if I don't understand that, that just makes me like think to someone else too. Like there's so many people that don't even understand why this is a problem. We think that we're not making our own oil. We think mm. that we, so then we just, it's not coming from us, but our, our energy demands haven't changed. Like we're bringing in all this oil. It's just like, we're just getting ripped off in the long run. Yeah. Everyone's getting ripped off. It comes all yeah. around. And it's just, so that's, and then said the Irving refinery in New Brunswick takes in 300,000 barrels a day itself. And yes. Like, these are really complicated questions, right? So again, this kind of comes, I, th- I think it's more of a contract issue more than it is anything else. So you have to think about it this way. Let's take Irving's, for example. They have an old contract. Uh, well, I don't know personally what that contract, that joint venture contract looks like, but I do know that this has been a long-standing relationship with Saudi Arabia for quite some time. So what's happening is because there's no pipeline system, like Energy East failed, Um, due to a various array of public issues, um, mostly in the political sphere, not in terms of environmental standards or even, um, you know, regulations were not met. It had nothing really to do with that. It was really just a political act. So that's really confusing because when you're talking about energy needs, instead of importing it from Saudi Arabia, which also let's remind everyone here, that has CO2 emissions to cross the ocean. So you're emitting something and versus a pipeline, if you were to take those two structures just alone and compare them. It's more environmentally friendly to have it in Canada, transported in Canada. But not only that, you're supporting jobs in Canada and you're supporting human rights. Like 
me as a journalist and doing documentaries and doing this stuff for a living, I wouldn't be able to have the same transparency I would be able to have in Saudi Arabia. No one can argue that from a human mm -hmm. rights standard. Yeah. So it's like, why, why do we continue to do this? And it's because there's people that are in power that prey on the general public sphere of oil and gas, but they have alternative motives outside of all of this. So why did Energy East fail? It was a foundational, foundational project that should have went through without a hiccup. And I don't know if everyone remembers in the news a couple of years ago when there was the uh, protesters at the city council meeting, they were jumping over the tables, like all this chaos on the news, right? Well, I mean, there's a lot of linkage between organizations coming up for the United States and paying environmentalists in Canada here to argue certain issues like that. But what we all have to understand is that there's 2000 kilometers of pipeline already in Quebec. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is not a pipeline conversation. This is, this is clearly a political decision. And this is what's fascinating. You know, when we start getting into all these bigger, broader topics about Canada, to me, that's up to our leaders to stop dividing our Canadian citizens and our provinces because I certainly know, you probably know this as well, traveling across Canada, there's, <clears throat> there seems to be more and more of a divide because we're not having more in common with each other than we are um, mm -hmm. having this argument against each other. Oh, 100%. Like, I can tell you, I say this to everyone, the amount of times I've been to Ontario and you meet people that have never been further west of Ontario or it's the other way, or if you've been out west, you've met people that have never been out east and vice versa. Like, it, it's a very hard place to travel. And, like, yeah. I mean, the cost that we're only going to see if we don't, I feel like, take advantage of our own resources. It's not going to make anything easier to see each other. Like, I have family on each side of this country. So, you know, it's definitely something that I think about. And, yeah, uh, it's, yeah it's true. There is, like, it's almost like a divide. And it's, like, people are so... Um, you don't have to move around. You don't get the chance to. And then, you know, you kind of only focus on your needs. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. you know, we don't, we still don't realize that like, you know, these provinces are, I guess, somehow in, in, entwined to help all of us together as a country, mm -hmm. like with each other's money and whatnot, but it's, it's fucking hard to see sometimes. And I don't yeah. think a lot of other people see the big picture too. And totally. I mean, I, yeah. So, yeah. And that's, it fires me up too, because <clears> like, you know, we, this is the thing. Just all you have to do is go on the government website and Google where imported oil and gas and just, just look at it. It's really fascinating. So Quebec gets a lot of their, I believe it's from Michigan. They get a lot of their uh, natural gas to subsidize for their energy needs. Um, and I know that there's definitely some Iranian oil that hits this country. <laughs> like We have Saudi Arabia oil. I mean, it just blows my mind. Like, I don't mind getting more oiling, oiling natural gas from Norway because Norway shares the same cultural values of human rights and environmental standards. So at least I know by buying that product from overseas that there's that foundational uh, agreement that we care about the environment and we care about our people. But you can't tell me that you're not supporting regimes around the world when you start demanding products from them. It's just, it's wild to me. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I like people love like bringing stuff like that up, but they still want to do business with them at the same time. It's just like, yeah. it's pretty fucking hilarious, but it, it really is. It's yeah, kind of ironic. Eh? And it just like, no one cares about the business being done, but if everyone says yeah. like condemns them publicly, it just, it makes me laugh. But what, yeah. so you mentioned that you kind of like 
through your swings of employment before you kind of got solely set into these projects you're working on now? Like at what point were you like, like, was it kind of something in yourself? You're like, no one's really talking about this. Like, this is like maybe a conversation I can help begin. Like what made you realize like, Hey, maybe a documentary, maybe a, you know, short movie that people are going to take serious. That's informative. Like what, at what point did you realize that was the direction you wanted to go and started pursuing that project? Well, it's funny because with the first documentary, I, I honestly didn't think anyone would really watch it, but it was nice that the right people in Calgary kind of watched it. And then I ended up getting a job after that and a job after that. And so like all my connections really came from there. Um, but I think the thing is, is just, again, it comes down to social work. When you're a social worker, you're trained to think about your community and you're trained to think about the people around you. It is the most important aspect of being a social worker. And when I saw so many people losing their jobs, you know, we were reading in the newspaper about suicide rates going up and domestic violence was rapid. And we certainly have seen the increase during COVID as well. I mean, these are social issues I really care deeply about. And realizing that was directly linked to uh, the economy made me really rethink about my values as a liberal arts student, because the economy plays a huge part of our happiness, whether people want to admit it or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be a trust fund baby all you want, but you got no idea what it's like to lose your job four times in one year because of a recession or because of COVID or because of all these poor policies that are getting placed in. Um, because they don't have any real tangible connection to reality, to living life. And I mean, all you have to do is listen to Pierre Polyev about inflation and how much everything is costing right now. And the people that get hurt the most are the people that are already on that borderline of being on the streets or being so poor that they can't afford, you know, heat or electricity. They have to choose food. These are, these are real concerns I have. And it's something that all of us as Canadians should be very deeply concerned about. hundred percent. And I mean, especially when you like the economy coming, it's such a big part of it. Like that people don't even really, I just don't really weigh into account enough, but like, I think people also, it, it has such this brash negativity with the environment and all this, but I feel like in a lot of ways too, you know, these people might be some of the ones that are really going to find out ways that this can be cleaner in the long run. They're always going to be the ones that are innovating to make cleaner technologies, cleaner ways to, you know, fuel our, all of our energy needs. Like, was it 66% you said was that was from uh, oil and gas in terms of all of our energy needs? Like that's a fucking huge chunk. Oh, it's massive. And, it's massive. Like, I mean, if you look at renewables, I mean, they, they are doing well in some aspects, but they're really not. <laughs> they're yeah. not. They're not replacing any base loads anytime soon. I'll tell you that right now, unless you're talking about hydro or nuclear. I mean, those are as like phenomenal aspects of energy. Um, but even the nuclear part is controversial for the international community. They don't want to look at it as, as a, as a renewable of any kind, even though it has uh, like the best track record for energy demand and also CO2 emissions. You did, so again, your, did you have a video with that as well? That you were talking about nuclear reactors or something like that? Yeah, yeah. that was on a podcast. Yeah. Okay, maybe that. Mm -hmm. I was stalking you before this, this interview. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of amazing things that you can get into. You know, I think this is the key, though, is that we have to change hearts before we change minds because we can say facts all day long and no one's going to listen but it's about changing our perception of each other and changing the perception of your neighbors 
um, in provinces. I, you know, I pick on Quebec a lot, but the truth is I used to live there uh, with my ex-boyfriend and I love the Quebec culture. I mean, it's so similar to Alberta in so many ways in terms of how they communicate and how, how strong they are and how independent they are. I, I really appreciate that. But what I don't appreciate is the bad policies and bad government that seems to be shouting over Quebec people for decades. And that's really what I go up against is that because we have to be smarter as Canadian citizens and stop listening to, frankly, just the propaganda that's out there in the news and really start listening to, okay, my neighbor disagrees with me, but you know what, at the end of the day, maybe I don't know everything and maybe I should listen or maybe I should research this myself and actually get into the topic and, and before I make a brass decision that really affects the entire country. 100%. And um, what's, what, so you're still in Calgary, like we t- touched on briefly earlier before, but what's the city like right now? And what's, the, like, what's downtown like with the pandemic? I'm imagining it hasn't really oh, helped quiet. things go for that case. Like, what's yeah, it, and quiet. I guess for oil as a whole, has the pandemic been, you know, shuttering doors for that as well? Like, what are things like out in eastern, Western Canada right now? I feel like I haven't been around in so long. Yeah, well, no, actually, um, oil and gas companies are doing really well this year because the ones that survived the last four years of hell, basically, um, they're certainly benefiting from the good prices right now. So, I mean, I'm really thankful for that. But we're never going to see the same job increases um, as we've seen before. And that's unfortunate because of, again, this international crusade to uh, divest from oil and gas and put Canada as a poster child for dirty oil is really hurting our uh, short-term investment. So there is a lot of long-term investment in Canada. Like people need to really understand that there are companies, there are individuals, there are people around the world that are seeing Canada as a leader and they're not going to, they're not going to sway politically no matter what, no matter who's in government. But we're talking about short-term investment. It ebbs and flows very quickly out of here. And frankly, we're just not desirable because of our instability around business and our rapid changing regulations. Um, you know, I had to sit down not too long ago with some government officials and just said, like, why can't you all, no matter if you're NDP, liberal, conservative, I don't care who you are anymore. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. Just stick to a plan and stick to regulations that you all agree with so that you're not fluctuating and changing the rules every second that you have. If everyone should figure this out, take the conversation away from oil and gas. Just think about COVID. I mean, traveling across this country with COVID is probably the most infuriating thing in the world. You don't know where you can wear a mask. You don't know what you need to have. You don't know what passports. You don't know which which province is going to say 14-day quarantine, which one's not. I mean, when I just have an international standard, like, yeah. why, why can't people agree on this? <laughs> I know. So that I laughed when they let it up to the province to decide shit like that. It actually just made me laugh because everything, nothing could have been di- more different from one another. It was fucking hysterical. Oh my gosh. And it was so hard when they did like, the one shot and then it was the two shot mandatory i mean it it was just and then some papers were okay and other papers weren't okay it was just it's a mess like Um, i mean best way to explain it's just a hot mess (laughs) oh it's brutal i don't like covid just uh, i can't believe that we're still like i say that i feel like i've said that a year ago i can't believe we're still talking about this but like we still are here we are but probably never go away now with omicron on the way but who fucking knows True. It's so true. So true. Yeah. I think it's going to be, it's going to be here this year for quite a long time. But I mean, the reality is though, 
what I always believe in is that people are so resilient and it's just really about bringing that resiliency into your day life and just say, you know what, like it's here, let's make the best of it. And I tell oil and gas companies this all the time. Yes, we've been knocked down. We've been punched a few times. We've got a lot of issues, but you know what? We learn from our mistakes and we can pull ourselves up and, and have better arguments and, and be more productive in our, in our public relations. So that's kind of what I do essentially is I, just take the punches. Yeah. <laughs> That's good though. No, you, 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 like I said, you got some great videos going. If people haven't seen them, definitely give them a chance. And I just, yeah, I really wanted to just take this opportunity to come have you on. Just have a quick conversation, nothing too crazy, but just talk about a bit about what you're doing and the conversations you're trying to have. And maybe just for anyone listening to this, keep your eyes on the lookout for any new like projects you're working on. And do you want to like, uh, what's it called again? Your, uh, your company, the production company. Oh, ASN. Give, your, give yourself a shout out on all platforms. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually uh, stranded nation productions, ASN Productions. So it's named after my first documentary, but oh, the best okay. ASN. Okay. A stranded ASN. Nation. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. So one of the things that, um, the best way is actually just on LinkedIn. I put all of my videos on LinkedIn. So if you just you know, click Heidi McKilla, you can add me and I'm always open to that. Um, and also most of the time I just put everything on YouTube as well. So there's lots of, uh, like there's certain joint projects that I put through my clients YouTube channel. So mine's pretty small right now, but that's definitely going to be an increase once, uh, once these projects kind of get off the ground. Absolutely. No, well, that's definitely, so give it a, give her, give her a look if you haven't already. And um, Heidi, I don't know anything else you really want to talk about. I, I think you said you had to go. So I was just trying to cut you off there before it was go time. No worries. <laughs> no, it was a pleasure. It just flew right by. Yeah, that's good. Well, anyways, maybe we'll have you on sometime again and talk about future projects, but thanks for doing this and uh, we'll talk to you soon. This is episode number 51 folks. Thanks for joining us.